Hey, it's Nicole from Coleology, and today on my consciousness podcast, I have Jeff, and Jeff received his California acupuncture license and MS in Asian medicine from AIMC in 2008. After a year of successfully working in a private practice, Jeff decided to make a change. He met with the founders of Oakland Acupuncture Project, OAP, Roselle and Whitney in 2009 to find out more about community acupuncture. He started working on at OAP in early 2010 as a substitute acupuncturist while still maintaining his private practice. By August 2010, they had hired him on for two shifts permanently. When the time came for him to open up his own clinic, they asked him to stay with the company and help them open a second link location on Grand Avenue, and that's in Oakland for anybody who is from out of California. Since then, they have grown, they continue to grow. Oakland Acupuncture Project opened a third location, Sacramento Acupuncture Project, in 2015. Aside from continuing to personally provide, on average, 80 acupuncture treatments a week, Jeff oversees, with his co-owner, Whitney, the operation of three clinic locations, and management of eight permanent acupuncture employees and a handful of substitute acupuncturists. He started training staff in 2012, and since then he has refined all the training systems and have taught over 30 acupuncturists how to do the community acupuncture in the OAP way. And so I'm so so interested to dive into this with you because... Personal history, I worked in Oakland for my practicum when I was um, finishing up school, and I stumbled upon um, the Oakland Acupuncture Acupuncture Project, and I was a student, and so the price was right, right? Because there was a sliding scale. Sliding scale starts at $15. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. Like, I can actually do some healing right now in my price range. (laughs) And I went, and I loved it. I loved it so much. It was so good for me. Um, And I went, when I first started coming to you guys, I was in a pretty good place. And then shortly after, my life kind of turned upside down, and I was in a pretty bad place. And you had provided me so much comfort and stability and um, centering just through going. Uh, I was just amazed, and I I love the work that you're doing. And so, yeah, it's awesome. You're awesome. Um, So I just want to know like all about it, like wherever you want to start, I I just want to hear. Yeah, well, um, you know, you you summed up the bio pretty well. Um, We actually have 10 employees now and I'm up to having trained, I think over 40 people. Um, Yeah, you know, sliding seal costs is uh, 15 to $35. We're all about making things accessible to people, so the affordability is just one component of that. You know, we try to provide an environment that um, all people feel welcome in addition to having, being open seven days a week, um, having, you know, multiple locations. So, you know, we we eliminate all the excuses that people can have for not getting acupuncture. And and, in essence, we try to make it pretty mundane um, kind of experience where people can come in and it's just not really a big deal that people are getting acupuncture and it makes it so that people who otherwise wouldn't get acupuncture have access to this, what was formerly a somewhat esoteric medicine and 
and people come in that we have whole families that come in sometimes we have mom dad two kids um i've been in there and had most of my family there um just by coincidence my father was visiting um i gave him a treatment came in for a treatment right after him and i didn't know that my wife and my daughter were coming in and i woke up and basically my whole you know i had three generations of my family in the treatment area um, you know and i and i think that speaks to really the the bigger picture of what we what we're trying to do is you know creating a sanctuary for all spectrums of people um to come together and heal and i think that's a, a huge part of what we need to do in this day and age uh, as a as a country as a as the human race is to come together and heal yeah and i like i like this so like i had done acupuncture before um individually and it's a much different feeling than in the field of um community there's like some type of i'm not really sure what's happening and i was wondering if like you have an awareness of what's going on in the field that you're sharing or um, I just thought it was really interesting. So I have this thing that happens to me a lot of the time when I get acupuncture, I, I kind of doze in and out of lucid dreaming, like, um, and I'm not sure if that's a normal response. I, I've never actually, um, broke that down, but it's, it's just something I definitely do. And it was always really interesting to kind of like wake up out of that, open my eyes and see the person next to me in this, like, state of happiness because it seems like most people are in a very peaceful state when they're getting acupuncture and and something really resonated with me and my soma like being in that situation and I had um I don't know I just kind of wonder about that yeah I, I mean I, I definitely think there's a phenomenon to the the group healing you know it's a very different sensation um getting you know traditionally acupuncture is done in private rooms um by yourself, you know, you meet one-on-one with a practitioner and you're there by yourself for whatever the practitioner decides half an hour to an hour usually is, is pretty standard. Um, you know, and the principles are the same in both models that basically you're placing thin stainless steel filaments and key spots around the body. Um, and that there's this idea that there's a life force of chi moving through certain lines that we call meridians. Um, and you're manipulating those to achieve a certain therapeutic effect. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's interesting that in a group setting, that 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 manipulation of chi through the meridian seems to have a more pronounced effect. That when you are um, in a room with a lot of other people, that it does seem more pronounced. It's sort of like the I've heard the phenomenon where if you take a bunch of um, old pendulum clocks and put them all in the same room swinging at different rates eventually mm. they'll all swing together yeah what is that called uh, that actually that actually happens they all like kind of do something in unison right right i mean it's, and people have a similar experience um in yoga during shavasana where people kind of all achieve sort of a certain rhythm yeah, and, and there's, like, studies, um, we kind of covered this in somatic experiencing trauma training, that, like, um, like people's heart, rate, uh, heart rates will actually sync up, um, r- breathing rates will actually sync up in big groups. Um, when people clap, they'll, they'll find a rhythm um, toward the end where it's not just, like, a bunch of random clapping, like, we're all clapping kind of together, which was so interesting. Right, right. Well, I think the same thing happens in community acupuncture. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's different if it's a slow day. The, the mojo is very different. 
where if you, you know, you only have a couple people trickling in and out, but if it's a very full day, um, you know, I'm often on a full day treating 25 to 35 people in about a five hour period. Um, the room is packed and it has a palpable kind of mojo. Yeah, it's really, it's really something. So what I didn't know that you just kind of, um, went over is that, community acupuncture is actually, this is kind of a new movement. I didn't realize that traditionally it's always been done. I thought there was like, I don't know what I thought. Um, I guess I didn't realize that this is a new movement. So like what kind of brought upon, like upon this movement and what made you decide that you want to be involved in it? So it all started, um, so the lore, the lore goes, um, in, in 2002, um, Acupuncture was definitely becoming mainstream, but it was uh, very focused on people with insurance, upper upper middle class people. Um, and then someone named in Portland, Lisa Roliter, um, lost her job in public health and realized, um, you know, that she needed to get form an acupuncture job. Um, but her friends and family really couldn't afford the going rate for acupuncture, and founded um, what is called working class acupuncture in Portland. Um, trying to create uh, something that was accessible and, you know, created basically community acupuncture where, you know, sort of based on her experience in public health that people are getting treated in an open group setting and she was going to charge on a sliding scale, um, you know, and, uh, found, you know, came up against a lot of criticism at the time that that wasn't going to work, but, you know, trying to be, uh, innovative and entrepreneurial, um, she kept moving forward and it worked and she wanted to create larger change. And so she started reaching out to other, uh, acupuncturists. Um, and lucky for us was very free about disseminating her ideas and information. And then, you know, with a lot of other help, you know, people enthusiastic about this kind of form of, of acupuncture being accessible to everyday people. Um, eventually formed POCA, which is the People's Organization of Community Acupuncture. And now that we have about 200 POCA clinics nationwide, uh, and and last I checked, we provide uh, close to about a million acupuncture treatments nationwide. Wow, this is so, so cool. So you're- I know. Between our three clinics, we do about 35,000 a year, um, but it's really neat to be part of a larger movement. Yes. And I mean, like, I'm not joking. Like I was so thankful for you and the clinic because like at that point I was toward the end of my practicum and like a full-time student, a single mom, or I was getting a divorce, but single mom. And I needed the extra support and I needed the holistic care. And, um, you, you guys seriously provided so much for me in those in those times. So thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of people are in your situation where whatever's going on with their life, you know, yeah, they're a full-time student, a single mom, or maybe, you know, they're a, sex, a successful middle-class professional, but they have two kids in co- college and an elderly parent in hospice that's paying for all of that. Right. And, and the stress level from their work and everything else is really high. And you know, yeah, maybe they make a lot of money, but it's, you know, flying out the window. Right. And that's their only solace. I mean, people are in a lot of different situations. 
And the fact that we just kind of, we don't have any kind of income verification, we just kind of trust people to say like, hey, you know, pay what you can. Which was, I thought, so awesome too, right? Because in this, in this day and age, we don't really do this thing often where we're just trusting somebody's word. It's um, kind of actually like, I don't know, something about that really, I thought was beautiful too. I mean, you're literally saying like, pay what you can and we're going to trust that that's what you can pay and we're going to accept that and still give you this huge component toward health. I know it's, it's, it's totally radical. It is actually. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't be right though. Like if you, like after yoga, like after I do yoga or I meditate, it's like, oh no, that's actually like the way things should be. Right. I mean, but, right, but right. the paradigm we live in and the constructs we live in, like are, have, are, that are just not really supportive of that. And I kind of wonder, like from a business perspective, like, um, how that, works out for you guys. Do you think that it's just like the energetic field of like, um, you're trusting and it just comes back threefold or something or what? You know, it's, I mean, it, I, that's tricky. I mean, we, we are a successful for-profit business. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're a corporation. Um, but you know, we're based, uh, on, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mohammed Yunus, who's, a uh, uh, Nobel Prize winner came up with the idea of like a social business that you have two bottom lines that and you know you have a a social impact that you have and you have you know actually making a profit at your business and that's essentially what we are and you know luckily we can have the um, social consciousness and ethics of say like a nonprofit but we have the the flexibility uh, of that comes along with uh, being a capitalist corporation. And, and who, luckily we're able to make it work. And like, who, who was the name of this person? I'm sorry, Mohammed what? Oh, Mohammed Yunus. Yunus. Oh, I, I'm going to look into this. This is very interesting. And I mean, he's awesome. He, he wrote some, one of his books I've, I have read, but he's written, I think written more than one, but he's awesome. You know, but that more more businesses should be doing that. I mean, even as a for profit corporation with with ten acupuncturists and an admin person, you know, we have basically eleven employees plus our subs who are also employees. Um, I'm not sure subs kind of float in and out, so I think we have maybe seven or eight. So you know, close to twenty people employed, but that also as a social business that we're focused on providing sustainable, stable jobs for people that are, that are with that same social conscious, social consciousness of, of treating people really well. And employees are, you know, our communication with employees is not, you know, we're going to pay you as, as little as we can get away with, but as much as we are capable of. And so employees know that, you know, whatever um, extra business comes through the door that they're going to gain the benefits of that, that, you know, as, as a social business, the idea is that anything extra that's quote unquote profit is going to get reinvested in the business either as expansion, which, you know, we recently expanded to Sacramento. So we used a big chunk for that. Congratulations. Investing in the employees. And so that usually takes the form of bonuses. Right. I love this. I mean, so it's kind of an extra, an extra layer of, of, um, 
you know how how we do business, right? and I, I think more more businesses should should do it like that. I mean, people, you know, the, the, we have really dedicated, awesome employees that really believe in what we're doing because of that level of transparency. You know, we have a kind of an open book for you know anybody that wants to sit down with anybody and go through QuickBooks and see where all the money comes in and goes. They're welcome to do that, and people appreciate that transparency and that welcomeness to be involved. That you know, at any time that people have an idea or want to, you know, make their part of the business grow or whatever, you know, that that's welcome for people to come in and do that. Well, and I love I love that you're speaking to this because, like, um, as a therapist, I'm still an intern, but um, a lot of the problems I find with like working with a client, it's really a systemic thing, right? I mean, it's not just like this individual client, but it's the system. It's like the clients embedded in, which like working individually, like it really requires the whole system to kind of shift and move. And I think like you naming this in a way, maybe, maybe that's part of like that feel good healing space that is able to be provided because like, all the acupuncturists that are there are happy and they feel involved and they're part of like the creation and also part of the profit. And it's like that like floats back into like the work that you're doing and then it floats back out into the world. And it's like, um, wow, I'm like super impressed. And I, I kind of wonder like from a larger picture, like how that could be, implemented in more systems because like I feel like there's something super important in what you're saying yeah I mean I I definitely think other businesses would benefit from being so you know social businesses and having not just a, a profit margin but also like the social impact not just in terms of what how they're impacting their society the society as a whole but also how they're how how they're being beneficial to their employees and, and making them involved in the business. Mm-hmm. I think I, I really think a lot of business. I mean, I hear a lot of people's stories. You know, I treat about four thousand. I do about four thousand treatments a year, and I get very intimate details of people's lives. And and a lot of people don't feel adequately involved or appreciated by the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think if more businesses were doing things, you know, their HR was doing things like we did, I think that they would get better results as a whole, as a business, in addition to having employees feel like they're part of what's happening in you the know, business. And I would like to piggyback something that you just mentioned, because I think it's actually part of you being an acupuncturist and like the work that you guys are all doing. So you said something like you get really in- intimate information. And that was also something that I experientially took away from that. Like, I didn't know you, you weren't, you weren't, when I first started going, I mean, I would still say like, all in all, you're, you're, I'm not as close to you as my therapist, however, <laughs> um, or like even friends, but you knew in those small sessions and I went, fairly often, like once a week for a while, but knew more intimate details. Um, no, I think I actually even at some point was going like three times a week, but, um, more intimate details about my life and my problems than I had shared with many people. And so I kind of wonder if you could speak to like, besides the actual acupuncture itself, um, 
the kind of space that you're holding for the emotions that arise and like um, how that's all kind of part of the acupuncture? Yeah, you know, holding holding space, I think, is a whole topic all on its own. Yeah. Um, and I would say I, I learned a lot how to do that first as a waiter mm. um, and then as a yoga teacher. Um, mm. And, you know, as a waiter, you kind of hold space where you have this sort of awareness of the flow and flux of what's happening in the restaurant. And you know, kind of without even looking, that the person you know, behind you has finished their glass of water and needs more water. And that, you know, somebody else, even without looking at them, you know, wants the check. You have sort of this sense of what's going on. There's a similar sense that you have um, in community acupuncture where you just kind of, without looking, you know the person behind you is done and wants their needles out. Um, Or you know that somebody else, their feet are cold and they need to get their feet covered up or something like that. Um, you know, and in, in, in uh, teaching yoga, um, I used to be um, wanting to give everybody everything. So Shavasana would start, I'd kind of run around <laughs> and, you know, like give everyone a foot massage or a head rub and like make sure they were comfortable or whatever. And then somebody presented the idea of like, you know, holding space. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try that. And I would just, instead of doing that, I would just sit and meditate while the class was in Shavasana, and I would just sort of mentally connect with everybody in the room mm. and say their name, and which helped to actually remember everybody's name, which is a good thing to do as a yoga teacher. Um, and lo and behold, my numbers went way up, which was good because I got paid on commission. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, you know, it's like I kind of took note of it because it impacted me not only that, you know, I think my classes were better, but also financially that, that it had a huge impact. And I suddenly could remember everybody's name. And um, Wait, when you were holding I, space and meditating, you were saying their name just in your mental space? Just in my mental space. Whoa, like this just is go powerful. Around the room and just kind of like connect with everybody individually. Yeah. In the five to ten minutes of Shavasana. And be like, okay, like Barbara and, yes. and you know, and just kind of connect with them, yes. and their practice and everything else. And and I sort of have that. I sort of when I am have people in the community acupuncture room, and I'm you know the idea of holding space. I hold that same tether to mm. people. Yeah. As I'm, you know, so even if I'm treating somebody else and I'm, you know, I have a little bit of ADD, so I, I hyper-focus on people <laughs> 10 minutes at a time, perfect amount of time for someone with ADD. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I'm, I'm intensely involved in this conversation with somebody right. who's sharing, like you said, who's sharing their intimate details with me and I'm learning all about their life and, um, you know, and at, at the same time I'm formulating you know, uh, uh, you know what I think is going to be the best acupuncture treatment for them. I'm still holding space. I'm still having those tethers to all the other people in the room. I love this. This is so beautiful. Like, um, I'm just, I'm a, I was a yoga instructor. I, I don't currently teach. I kind of do like a little meditation and yoga for my son's class because their school's in, implementing mindfulness, but I'm not like okay. – yeah, I know. It's so wonderful. I love it. And the kids just love it. And it's just so nice to be a part of my son's um, education in this way. But um, I haven't actually, 
And with my clients, I'll do mindfulness, but I haven't actually like taught an adult yoga class in a very long time or instructed one. Uh, but I always kind of um, had, and I, it wasn't so eloquent, eloquently formulated in my head um, and wasn't given these wonderful words that you just gave to them. But I always kind of felt like super connected. And I always kind of just wondered, like it just heightened my curiosity around like being like people having some ability to be telepathic or something. Um, and the reason why is because like, I would always feel connected in, in a very intimate way when I was teaching yoga. Um, and then I would kind of like understand somebody's situation in a way that like words weren't said, but then after the class, it was like we would share and it was like, I kind of knew, or they kind of had a sense of something that was being shared together in that. And it just, I don't know, like, do you, do you know what you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think empathy is extremely powerful that even without words, just being in a, in a room with people and sharing an empathetic space. So you think it's uh, empathy. You think like, so the empathy has like, like, I'm just wondering out of curiosity, like is empathy like some semi telepathic portal? Do you think, or, or do you think like it, it's not, it's just like empathy is this thing that just allows us to have, I don't know. It just felt like, maybe. I mean, I think there's a lot of hubris in, in science and medicine where, you know, we, we've, we really have achieved so much discovery and insight. And th- there's the temptation to think that we're like at the apex of that. No. But there's always room for more right. of that, you know, uh, insight. And I, I think that, you know, medicine is guilty of that for sure. That, you know, the, the invention of an MRI machine that we can see so much incredible detail. Um, but, you know, we can't see the power of empathy or, you know, we don't, under, you know, a big one is we don't understand the power of the placebo effect. Right. That's that, that taken into placebo control, double blind studies, you know, the gold standard of studies. Right. But yet we don't really fully understand, you know, that I think, I think the, the gauge is about 30%, you know, 30% of, of anything will work because of the placebo effect. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's amazing. Right. That, you know, just by the power, 30% of the time, the power of belief will heal you. Right. It's an amazing concept. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that, we, that that itself has not been investigated, um, you know, it speaks to that sort of hubris of science that, you know, that I mean, I think people are investigating it. I think it's, it's definitely out there, but... Um, yeah, it's you know, just, it, I mean, we don't understand. well, and, and it's just like right now the pharmaceutical companies fund most of the studies and like, I'm sure that there's not a lot of, um, money being pumped into the study of placebo and like the belief, like why that works, because that's like not really where the pharmaceutical company makes any money. So, I mean, like there's probably that, like, even though there's maybe right, massive right. interest, there's not like a massive amount of money going to that place because that's not who funds it so well you can't you can't make money off the placebo effect <laughs> right well you know not yet I, and i'm glad you just brought um i'm sure you can in some way somebody will figure it out uh, <laughs> <laughs> um 
you brought in science and I had saw a article recently. I think it was maybe, I don't know, somewhere in the last like six months, maybe a year that they did verify through science what I already knew to be true. And I know you did because you're racing your whole career off of it, that meridians are real. Yeah. Did you see that they've actually, science has proven that? I have not, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I wasn't surprised either, but I thought it was just really super interesting. They were able to tap in, like, by accident. Uh, They ink-spotted some part of somebody's body, and it ran through the entire meridian system. And they were like, meridians are real. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, acupuncture is, you know, a lot been uh, accused of being a pseudoscience. Um, but you know, the results that you get are reproducible. So on, on that aspect, it does fit into the scientific method. Um, but in other ways it doesn't fit into the scientific method because, um, bias is really hard to eliminate. You know, there's, uh, a lot of ways to do acupuncture and they all work and blinding, you know, to do a double blind study just isn't possible. Like how do you make somebody believe that they're giving somebody acupuncture and the person receiving believe that they're giving acupuncture yet not have any acupuncture happen. It's really almost impossible. Oh, Um, interesting. And I've, and I found, you know, people that come in, they don't believe in acupuncture. It still works for them. It doesn't matter if they believe in it or not. Well, yeah, because something's happening. So can you, um, or in my in my experience anyway, something's happening. But I do believe. So I mean, there's that. But can you just really briefly break down for I mean, a person who doesn't who hasn't had acupuncture or who's interested in um, acupuncture, what exactly is going on? So so you're ta- like you take these stainless steel needles that don't tap very far. Like I mean, it's not like you're puncturing and you're drawing blood, and then you're going through the meridian system, but like what that actually means, like how is that, what that actually is doing or what the science behind it is? Well, there are six uh, main meridians that go down each limb, so 12 really all together. Um, And, you know, 300 plus points along those meridians. And my, my approach is really twofold. You know, one is if there's pain. So if there's pain, I look at, what meridian is being blocked and how can we open that up? So you look at which, you know, if it's down a limb, so say you have knee pain, depending on where it is on the knee, that's going to be one or more meridians involved. I'm going to try to open up those meridians. So sort of like if there's an accident on the 680, you know, you want to clear off what's happening on the 680 to open up the flow of chi there. Or if there are horses running down the 680. Right the other day. Well, uh, was there was there horses running down the 680? Yes. Last, <laughs> I think it was last week. Or maybe it was this week. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had no idea. I, this is, I get all my news from people coming into the clinic. They'll <laughs> come in and get an acupuncture treatment. They'll be like, I'm sorry I'm late. There were horses down the 680. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, the other approach is more constitutional where, say, somebody comes in for asthma or common cold, infertility, anxiety, depression, something like that. 
Um, and something that's a little bit more constitutional, you know, there are sort of empirical points that balance out the Constitution in a specific way, and you choose points based on that, saying, you know, looking at what's happening, somebody has a certain kind of constitutional imbalance that's causing this issue, you want to kind of bring them back to center. So constitutional meaning, A, obviously, like some block or too much flow, but then is that like, is the blockage or flow now kind of in theory or what the belief is um, or what the knowing is in this science? Um, is that like then it's creating too many hormones or not enough hormones or like, I mean, how? so how does the flow of energy impact the um, homeostasis of the body, I guess, is what I'm trying to understand. I mean, honestly, nobody, on a scientific level, nobody really knows. Right. But according to Chinese medicine theory, you know, that yeah, if there's too many hormones or not enough or too much of this or too much of that, you know, it's basically balancing that out. So it does come back to, so in traditional Chinese medicine, it, it comes back to, um, it's because the flow, the flow needs to be regulated. Yeah. It, it, achieving homeostasis. And then how, how does one's trained eye like yours know where the flow is blocked or too much? How, how do you know that? Um, Usually, but just based on our conversation with somebody, you know, we go in and read their health history. Um, we read the notes that other people have made, the points that they have used, if they've worked, they haven't worked. And that just kind of gives us an eye if we're on the right track or not on the right track. Um, and then based on a lot of that information, you know, we feel comfortable moving forward with a certain kind of treatment protocol. Often if we're confused, you know, we'll go to you know, Chinese medicine uses uh, tongue and pulse diagnosis. So if things are not really clear, we may, you know, refer to that, or we may ask more questions that often seem really random to people. You know, we ask people, do you have cold hands and feet? You know, we'll ask details about people's insomnia. You know, people that are up between one and three in the morning is a slightly different treatment than people who are restless through the night. Oh, Interesting. Oh, interesting. So there's some part of someone being um, self-aware and self-reflective that will dictate what the treatment is. Yeah, so different, different presentations require different treatment protocols. It's really not one-size-fits-all. So that's often why people come in and they may get one treatment one day and then they come in, see somebody else, and they get a totally different treatment because they're presenting differently. Well, and and I think it's like, I think there's something to that right there because like, um, oh, this is so, I, so I just had a deep thought. Um, okay, so like as a therapist, I'm constantly working with um, clients to cultivate an observing ego so that they can understand themselves in a way that maybe like has been unconscious, make it more conscious. Right. Right. So the more conscious we become of like maybe the questions you're asking, like, and the more where we become, then that dictates like the more subtle layers that you can actually treat the meridian points. Right. Right. And so right. 
so I wonder just, and I just kind of wonder this, like it's just kind of popping in my head because Chinese medicine is based in like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, a deep foundation of like, um, martial arts that require a lot of self-reflection and self-control and also meditation, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of theories about that, but yeah, Qigong um, and martial arts is uh, said to be a lot of the, the root of how the system came about. So, so do you think that there would be like some type of, or I don't know, like maybe you guys already do, I'm not really sure, um, like a, a press for like, hey, you guys are coming here and you're doing this thing, but like... Uh, we can assist you better when, as you become more aware. So like having some type of like daily practice, even if it's five minutes a day of reflection will help us like treat you more accurately. Like, are you guys doing anything like that? You know, if it comes up, I do recommend that. I tend to be a very non-dogmatic practitioner um, because I I find that makes things more accessible that people aren't coming in feeling like they have homework. Oh yeah. Okay. They don't fair. feel like that they come back and they don't feel like they can, Oh, I can come back and I didn't do my homework and Jeff's going to be <laughs> okay with that. Like I, if it comes up, if someone's like, what else can I do to achieve what I want? I may make the, those exact same recommendations that you made because I do think that they will be helpful. I don't automatically do those just because I feel like, you know, the, we have crazy busy lives. Yeah. You know, some people come in, like you were saying, you know, being a full-time, full-time student, single mom, and they have 30 minutes of self-care right. a week. And that's <laughs> it. You know, they have like a two-year-old and a five-year-old and, and their partner works full-time and their life is nuts. Right. Um, so I, I never, for me as a practitioner, I just never pressure people to do stuff. Actually, Actually, I congratulate them just for making it in. No, and I actually love that you're speaking to this because as you're saying it, that feels more true because as a therapist, right, we, you just meet them where they are, right? You have to meet the totally. person where they are. And that, and that is going to be good enough. It's going to be actually great. It's more than they're usually met anyway. So, like, I like, I, I guess I, yeah, I like where you're going with that. I think that that's actually, like, a, a really healing space, yeah, I mean, when I do, I, uh, you know, I'll tell people, shoot for five minutes a day. Right. You know, something that's really achievable. I mean, I went yeah. to school as, for a transpersonal program, and I, I mean, I wax and wane with my yoga and my meditation, and I am, like, applauding myself when I do a whole week of 10 minutes every single day. Like, I'm like, I did the whole week. I'm, I'm going to say, hey, I applaud myself for five minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> my career is based on it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I work full time. My wife works full time. Yeah. I've got two kids, um, six and three, Aww. and I I shoot for five minutes of yoga a day, and then I do a longer session on the weekend. Yeah, and that's enough to keep me centered and and my body good. Yeah. Um, but you know, and I don't expect other people in my situation to do any more than that. Right. Right. No, I love that. I love that you spoke to that. I just had like this moment where I was like, oh, like. Self-reflection and awareness is kind of based in the tradition. I just, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, um, is there other avenues you kind of wanted to share or explore um, in this field that you're kind of like? I mean, you're on the frithy, frothy 
cutting edge of a movement, really. We are. And, you know, the, um, in that vein, you know, there's um, some roots of radicalism um, that we have um, that I think are really interesting. You know, a lot of these are outlined. Um, Greg Jones, who works at uh, St. Pete Community Acupuncture in Florida, wrote this great zine called The Radical History of Acupuncture in America. Um, and kind of touched on a lot of different points of, you know, people who, like you say, were kind of on the forefront of this sort of, of revolutionary ideas. Um, and I think it really speaks to, like, w- what we do, where we're at in this time, kind of looking back on a lot of these other events. You know, there's um, the creation of what was what's what we call the NADA Protocol, which is the National Association, it, the NADA stands for National Association of Detox Acupuncture, um, which is this amazing basic protocol. It's basically five points on each ear, and it's used nationwide traditionally for addiction, but it's become much more um, prevalent for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Interesting. Um, and really helpful for that. So they're, they're using it for veterans a lot now and, and people and going to people in, who are in war zones or in places where there's natural disasters and administering this and people are feeling, you know, better and calmer and able to recover physically, psychologically a lot from these traumatic experiences. Hmm. And we use this day in and day out like it's no big deal. I mean, I do this kind of protocol all the time. And I love that it's called nada, which, you know, like in Spanish means like, hey, it's nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that was intentional. And this actually has its roots in uh, Lincoln Hospital in the South Bronx back in the early 70s was the epicenter of a huge heroin drug epidemic. Mm. And the Black Panthers and the Young Lords took over the hospital and demanded demanded better drug treatment. Um, out of that occupation and civil disobedience, which was awesome, came the Lincoln Detox Center. Mm. Um, and eventually, I guess it was director Michael Smith um, helped found and develop the whole NADA protocol. Hmm. And, um, you know, out of, so it was out of this, this radical sort of civil disobedience created subsequently this amazing protocol for addiction and PTSD that we kind of are sort of spoiled to use. A little right, bit. right. Um, but that, but that we, but that really needs to be, you know, used more widely is speaking to the nationwide opioid epidemic that's happening. Yes. You know, nationally, it's not just the South Bronx anymore. It's like the whole country needs effective addiction treatment. And here's something that was started in the 70s that could really revolutionize how we deal with addiction. Like, Like it to everybody. Like every methadone clinic should have this treatment, right? Totally. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, and, and, and speaking to the PTSD, you know, every section of the armed forces should have this treatment. Well, and to be honest, People, most nonprofits would benefit from it. I mean, like, because the the population generally is uh, suffering from severe trauma upon trauma, so uh, which generally right. presents as PTSD, right? I mean... 
Right. Well, that's, how, you know, I have a ton of people that come into our clinic that work in nonprofits that deal with those kinds of stressful situations. And a lot of times I'm doing some version of the NADA protocol for them. I wonder, just because you guys are um, a community-based um, center, have you guys looked at going out to the Antioch area? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just because I just could see a really high need out there. So, I mean, just. Yeah, we've looked at expanding a lot of, I think a lot of community acupuncture clinics in the area want to expand into different areas. Hmm. Um, it's just a matter of will and personnel. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course. And there's only, I mean, for, for us, Oakland Acupuncture Project and Sacramento Acupuncture Project, um, there's only so much we can expand in so many years that you know, you really have to get a clinic kind of up and running. You know, it takes about two years to get it up to full speed and then about a, another year to recover. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I could only imagine. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. Well, and congratulations with, like, your whole entire unfolding with this, right? I mean, like, that's awesome. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing evolution. And a lot of that, and, and you know, the systems that I just, our HR systems that I described have really gone through the crucible of amazing people and their insights that have come. I mean, it's not just myself, it's just other people, you know, Roselle, Whitney, um, Kate Kane, you know, people coming in and just giving their insights and their time and their energy to refining our systems and boiling them down and giving feedback and creating stuff and, you know, to, to be the streamlined machine that we are and being able to have three locations. Yeah, that's, it's incredible. Um, a lot that's gotten into that. Like on a personal note, like what led you to acupuncture? You know, I, uh, it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away back <laughs> in, uh, it was like 2005, four, four or five. Um, I had an injury from surfing um, right before my wife, then my then girlfriend, and I were about to go on a huge trip all around the Pacific um, for seven months. And um, I totally tweaked my arm. I had pain all down my whole left arm, all the way into my ring finger and very limited range of motion. And I tried all, I tried all kinds of stuff, massage, yoga, um, chiropractic, and you know, every, it worked up to a point. And I, at the time, I also was trying to learn how to play guitar. So, you know, your left hand is really important. Right. And every time I tried to press with my left ring finger on the guitar, I'd get shooting pain up my hand into my arm. And Nothing really helped, and I was in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, um, studying Thai massage, and I think my massage, the, my teachers were just tired of me bitching and moaning about my <laughs> pain, and were just like, you know what, you need to go get acupuncture, because <laughs> I tried all kinds of Thai massage stuff, and herbal packs, and everything, they're like, listen, there's this clinic called Mungpala Acupuncture Clinic, just go and get acupuncture and stop. You know, they were all very sweet people. But, um, and I went, and, 
and I got acupuncture, and I had one acupuncture treatment, and it went away, and it's never come back. What? So, which doesn't, I don't, doesn't, it's not the, doesn't happen all the time, but, like, that does happen sometimes, where, you know, you treat something one time, and it's done. Well, I wonder, too, if it's, like, you know, I've done so much yoga and massage, and I've done all this other stuff to try to, like, unearth what this pain that was happening, that it just needed that one little kick over the edge. But it was enough to make me kind of question, like, wow, like, this was amazing. I had sort of been kind of teetering on making a career change at the time. So, you know, I thought, I'm going to look into this a little bit more. And especially because, you know, after the treatment, it wasn't just the pain that went away. I suddenly felt incredible. I felt very calm. Mm. We went out to eat. I ate this huge meal. Had an amazing appetite. My digestion was perfect. I slept well that night, and so the next day I got up and I was like, "Okay, not only did all of that happen, but I'm not in pain. I'm going to go back." <laughs> I think I went. If it wasn't the very next day, it was the day after, and I'm pretty sure within the next couple of weeks, for the rest of my time in Chiang Mai, I think I went there maybe like six or seven times. Um, just for a tune-up, just to feel good. And um, at the end of that, I just thought, you know what, this is an amazing, I never thought this could be so amazing. I want to study this. So I bought a book and I read all about the Meridian system and everything else. And uh, by the time I got back to the U.S., three months later, I was looking at schools. Oh, cool. That's a, that's really a cool story. Huh? Yeah. And, and I, I have a lot of colleagues who have very similar stories where they had some kind of pain, they got acupuncture, it went away. They're very curious about what else would happen. Well, I was curious. So, so honestly, I remember sitting in the chair one day when you were doing acupuncture and I was like, I had a second. I love my career. I'm so happy that I picked my path. Like I, I feel like it's been so amazing, but when I go to an amazing body worker, like, I don't know if you consider acupuncture body work, but I feel like it is. Is it, is it considered? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is right. I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I go and get amazing acupuncture or I go to an amazing chiropractor who's not just doing like the traditional cracking, but like working with the fascia and the energy system, like I, I always have this second in my head where I'm like, did I, did I pick the wrong career? Like seriously, because like there's something in those moments, um, after a really great session with a chiropractor or an acupuncturist where I actually feel fully aligned. Like, um, I walk out so clear, my body's not in pain. I mean, and I don't carry a, a ton of pain around a lot of the time. That's not my thing, but I'm definitely um, emotionally a wave. <laughs> and um, I feel very like stable. And, and yeah, I think that there's something to that. And I've actually been playing with this thing because I've been going to this amazing chiropractor lately because. Uh, I had hurt my, hurt myself and, um, this chiropractor does a lot of like body work and is right down the street from me. He, I feel so lucky to have found him. And the more I feel better in my body, I realize the 
easier it is for my psyche and my mental thoughts to like stay positive, right? Totally. And so there's a deep connection that I've been like seriously like contemplating and and sitting around and maybe you can speak to this um, because you're actually coming from the body perspective uh, that like the work I feel I do in the world is important, like coping tools and communication tools and like giving people interpersonal like skills. I mean, those are all super important, but what, what it boils down to is like, um, how do you feel in the world being yourself, right? And if your body is out of alignment and not feeling well, even if you're not in deep pain, um, it does create some type of pull of like how you're the lens you're seeing the world in. And so like I feel like there's something super potent about like the the body work avenue um, that's kind of like, in the psychological realm, not being spoke to enough, you know? Well, you got to have both. I mean, think of the difference between a, a good night of sleep and a crappy night of sleep. Right. I mean, I, you know, if I, I mostly have very, I'm mostly with young kids, I'm very sleep deprived. But when I get a good night of sleep, I'm like a Superman. <laughs> right. And I think a lot of other people feel the same way. Mm-hmm. That if you're, you know, and, and, and especially the overlap of chronic pain and depression. Yeah. That, you know, people are, if you're in pain all the time, it wears down on your soul. For sure. And, you know, those those things become interrappled. And you have, you know, the, the chronic pain, depression, anxiety, insomnia that kind of become a, a negative feedback loop. And it becomes very hard to, to break people out of that loop. Ooh, so you're speaking of chronic pain being the mental aspect of it. So you're not talking about chronic pain like people are usually labeling like, oh, um, in my back or my neck. You're you're like literally saying the chronic pain of anxiety. No, I'm saying that, you know, no, people have chronic pain and it causes depression and anxiety. Okay, 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 okay. I'm saying it's inter- interwrapped with that. For sure. But But also, but for sure what you're saying, like that's a chronic pain. Right. Like, if you're anxious and depressed all the time... Right. You know, that is, like, pain in your soul all the time. Right. But also, if you're in chronic pain physically, you're going to have the same kind of chronic pain in your soul all the time. That you wake up, you know, and that... You know, if you're... If it's depression, you know, you wake up and it's like, oh, crap, like... My depression sitting on my chest again. Right. Or if you're in chronic pain physically, you're going to be depressed because oh crap, it's my chronic pain of my hip, right? Or my knee sitting on me again, and I'm gonna and I know I'm gonna get up and it's gonna hurt, right? And I don't even want to get up at all today, <laughs> right? So I mean, all those things become very interlocked over time. And there's not a lot that addresses those globally. That's right. I mean, Western medicine is really good at, you know, addressing those specifically. Right. But when it becomes a chronic issue, say somebody has, like, hip arthritis and they don't want to get a hip replacement, you know, that kind of depression about that becomes sort of insidious. And if they're already prone to, say, anxiety, depression, insomnia... Uh, that negative feedback loop becomes more and more pronounced over time. 
time, and it becomes really hard to break people out of that with traditional means. So, so are you saying that like um, acupuncture because of the open because you're opening in um, increasing flow and like stabilizing flow and achieving homeostasis is like actually kind of giving release to some of the negative feedback loops that are happening because it's just like a, a relief. That's yeah, basically that's what I'm trying to do. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't want to dissuade people from pursuing traditional means. No, I mean, I of course that, not. You know taking painkillers and seeing your therapist is a good thing. But I think doing acupuncture along with that, like you say, to kind of uh, jump people out of that negative feedback loop is an essential part of that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, like, I, I've been in and out of therapy for a long time on, on my own path, and therapy has helped me a ton. And and I, I kind of like just also sit with the question of being primed, right? So I've also done a lot of meditation. I've also done a lot of yoga. I've also um, done a lot of different trainings. And so I kind of wonder, you know, it's like the chicken before the egg type question. But I, I, I have noticed that um, in my time of despair with my divorce and I mean, okay, so this is not a proud thing to announce, but I'll, I mean, I, my, my consciousness podcast is all about being authentic and raw and real and sharing it, um, sharing it to like, hopefully like be in service of somebody who's listening. And, um, I was a teenage smoker. So since 15, I like smoked socially, um, but on and off pretty much, throughout my life. And I feel very lucky that I'm never got fully addicted. Like I could quit whenever I wanted. And then like, maybe I'd go out and then I would smoke. But during that moment of my, um, divorce and graduating school and switching homes and looking for a job, I was smoking all the time. And I went in, I was still in my own therapy because I had an angel as a therapist because I was going through kind of a crisis. He still saw me, um, even though I couldn't really afford it. And um, I was going to my therapist and I went to you and not not only did you do some like points on my ear, um, I just didn't want cigarettes again. Like it was like, it was like, bam, gone. And then yeah. I would come in like emotional wreck and I would leave and I was like, okay, I can breathe. I got this. Like it was all of a sudden I was kind of like more resilient and and therapy was like helping me get through the nitty gritty, but it was like, I actually left like feeling better. And right now I'm currently in a pretty good stable place for myself, feeling good about life. And, um, I had this little thing happen to my neck right around new year's. And I've been going to a chiropractor ever since that, as I said, does a lot of energy work also and deep fascia work. And, I've noticed that like I just walk like I'm gliding and and I'm noticing I'm not like stressing about some of the stuff that like I used to stress about and I really feel like it's also related to the body work and I'm just like really interested in like how that shift with me mentally because I mean I think that those are two very similar and profound things that it's like I did all this work in therapy and I and although I needed the support like there's something about the support and the attunement that I needed like it didn't actually shift until I found a body worker right well I think that speaks to what we were talking about before you know that we just don't understand everything in the human mind body spirit continuum 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and like... I mean, it's like Freud, Freud was such an innovator in his time trying to delve into that. Yeah, he really you know, was. And I, and I think, you know, everybody since, you know, that we've made so many inroads, but we still have a long way to go. You know, and addiction is a huge, a huge one in that. Oh, yeah. I mean, speaking to smoking, I mean, I, I was a heavy smoker for a long time. And uh, I had my last, I had a cigarette on January 6th, and it was great. And I would love to smoke so many more. <laughs> and, you know, and I've used acupuncture for that and had the same experience where it sort of undercuts the, that addictive experience. Um, and we don't, we don't understand why that happens. Yeah, and we, I mean, and, and, and addiction being such an epidemic in our in our country. I mean, not just the the heroin, the opioid epidemic, but you know, cigarettes, alcoholism, all of that, and our our failure to address it and to openly talk about it um, as a society is kind of depressing. And um, well, it's taboo, right? Like now, it's taboo, like yeah, oh, and shamed. It's now so sad. like it was. Pop- and, I mean, it goes along with a lot of other taboo topics like death. And yeah. I mean, those are things that as a, as an acupunct- community acupuncturist, I talk about with people all the time, very openly. Um, and I think people feel such a relief to that. I feel a relief to be able to talk so openly about it. I, I come into the clinic and I feel relieved that there's no taboo subject at all. Mm. Um, but, you know, those, those are all things that are, that are not well understood um, scientifically and um, need to be addressed you know, especially the, the death and the grief issue I've noticed that uh, we don't we don't talk about death really well in our country and at all people get really sick every time and with weird stuff like and it's not just um, the grief of death it's it's the grief of say like a failed relationship or a failed job or mm, yeah. you know people have something that they're grieving heavily in their soul and it takes a huge physical toll every time like people get super sick with something weird mm-hmm. sometimes not so weird but but sometimes people just get like the flu and the cold and they're sick for a month right uh, but you know it's, it's our it, it just speaks to me of a failure of our society to be able to just talk about a lot of difficult subjects openly and honestly. Yeah. I wonder where the starting place of that is. Like, I mean, I think, well, obviously we're start, there's a starting place here or there's a starting place in in the therapy room or in your um, clinic. But like as a whole, I kind of wonder where the actual starting place is because you're right. Like, um, death is such a weird topic. Like I get nervous. I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm trained to like talk about these topics and I feel very comfortable in a room, right. With somebody who's coming to see me, but somebody passes like around me, like a, a friend, someone passes. Like I know how my family system works around passing. So I know like what, what's expected and all the expectations and what, shouldn't shouldn't be done and how to support because it's like a family system right but when it comes to other people's family systems because it's not talked about 
Um, I've had some really weird unfoldings, um, where I tried to support somebody and like, it was a failed attempt because that's not what they wanted because they needed something else and it became weird. And so like, I have, um, I have anxiety around even like how to support friends. Like, do you bring it up? Don't you bring it up? Like, do you wait for them to bring it up? Like, and then like all the ways that like, well, well, what does that mean for me and death? And like, if a friend didn't bring it up, how offended I would be. So then that puts me back into a place of, should I bring it up? Or like, and, and it's because we're not talking about it, right? Like if there was a holding space, uh, that, you know, death happens and, and, and it's weird. Like we all know death happens, right? I mean, But it just becomes such, and I just kind of wondering, wonder, like, now that you're bringing that up, like, what the healthy way of, like, starting to address these issues, maybe before they happen with, like, loved ones and friends and, like, how, like, how are you finding that you're kind of navigating that, not in the clinic, but outside in the world with people you're um, involved with? Uh, I would say I navigate it better in the clinic than I do in my own life. See, that's what I just said. Like, why? <laughs> why? Why is that? Um, I think just that because the clinic is such an open space that people are, I mean, people are processing stuff. And in a way, it gives me an opportunity to process with them, not right. verbally. Right. Even though they're going through their whole thing. Um, And it can just be really heavy. You know, we had the ghost ship fires recently in Oakland. You know. And we had so many people who have experienced loss through that come in. Yeah. And and that is the primary reason why they're coming in. Mm. And um, Mm. that's heavy. Yeah. You know, or, and, you know, and uh, a lot of the recent political issues right. that have come up, people coming in and they, they're grieving the right. loss of having a country that they wanted. Right. I'm not sure how to phrase that. No, exactly, I think that that's, but, yeah, like um, that they believed in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, you know, and I, I mean, with both of those, I've had people just crying. So, you know, some not the same person, but there's been somebody crying in the, the treatment room for like five hours straight. Mm-hmm. People just pass the baton of tears. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's beautiful. And in a way, you know, that I have my, my own issues around both of those things. And, um, you know, just being a part of that sort of collective grief and collective sorrow helps me work through my own personal grief and personal sorrow and I've um and I, I've talked to colleagues and I and I seem I seem to have a lot of people that gravitate like uh to me going through that stuff and I I um you know I've I lost my mom and I lost my sister uh at different times for different reasons but at sort of a young age mm. um mm. and I think that I I have an uh, understanding and connection to people who are going through grief and loss like that and can talk to them openly and honestly. Um, and I think that, that that I'm privy to that experience that I'm able to 
you know, kind of roll around this environment and connect with people who are going through similar things. Um, it's really helped me as a person go through that, even though that hasn't been on the table when I'm talking to people. Just hearing about other people's experience and how they're moving through that has been really helpful to me. Right. Um, and therapeutic for me to move through my own grief. You know, I've had people ask me, you know, doesn't that ta- doesn't that make you tired? Doesn't that bog you down at the end of the week to just be kind of witness to so much suffering and pain? And in a way, just being able to connect to that and knowing how, you know, that everybody else driving down the street, walking down the street, is going through that same kind of stuff that I'm going through, um, makes me feel lighter, if anything. Yeah, I'm really, I'm happy you just brought that up because I get asked that often too. And for me, sometimes I don't know, actually, even though I'm holding a role as like the therapist or the person of knowing or the healer or whatever is projected onto us, um, which is happening for you as well. Right. Um, and there is like some type of educational lens there. Like I literally leave most of my sessions, not knowing really who, who received the healing, right? Like, it's like, I felt, I feel a little more whole and complete. And, um, every time even through some of the most horrific stories. And, um, I think that that's really cool that you just spoke to that because I don't think that that's talked about a lot. Well, I think we should talk about it a lot more. Yeah. And I also like, (laughs) I, I do. I think I think so because that's like the pot. That's the positive feedback loop, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like uh, you know, ri- you know, you gotta let it a wound air out so it can heal. Yeah. And I and I really like that you're speaking to the grief because um, my therapist after after the election and um, just like a lot of stuff that was kind of up. Um, I was just going. I was carrying my own grief um, from like some personal stuff, but then also like I was just feeling overwhelmed from like it's the micro macro stuff, right? And like I was just, and I'm very, um, I'm sensitive. So I feel like sometimes I carry some collective stuff and um, I was just grieving and he had said something super powerful about, you know, it's good to like have the anger and all all the things that are happening, but really the true transition comes for, and the healing comes after people are really massively grieving. So as a collective, we really just have to grieve for whatever new is going to emerge. And I just thought that that reflection was so powerful and it, and I was like, you're right. Like, that's so true. Like, um, cause once you're done grieving, like that you're kind of reborn personally, right? Like there's like this movement right. of something new and, and if it's true that things happen fractally and, um, and collectively, which I think are obviously is true. Otherwise you don't end up having social systems and governments and all of that stuff that like reflect some type of common belief system. Then, then like, then if it's happening in community, right, you're, and you're saying it is, right, that, that there is some movement of, like, the collective consciousness, like, um, grieving that, like, something will be reborn out of that. Yes. 
Go, wow. Thank totally. you. Thank you. And that's, that's exactly what Oakland Acupuncture's project is trying to do every day. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful. <laughs> it's, not like, just, it's not just about the acupuncture. You know, there's this, like, exactly what you said. There's this radical undercurrent of trying to, you know, get people through the grief and rebirth into something bigger and better. Wow, this is like, thank, thank you. I mean, with, seriously. <laughs> with 200 clinics across the country. Yeah. They, so, so will you do me a favor? A, thank you for your time and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. And thank you for doing this podcast. Like I'm totally honored and I feel, I feel completely like, like the, like this whole podcast was for me was like, Oh, I want to give and help give to the world. But I, I, it's a lot like what we were just speaking about. Like at the end, I feel like I receive so much. It's like incredible. Um, so thank you for this deep conversation, well, but Nicole, the, the feeling is mutual. I just, love being able to talk about these topics openly and honestly yeah thank you thank you i really i really really do um value this conversation and um also i will add any of the links you want me to add so it will be on soundcloud it will be on all the social media and um so let I think I have pretty much everything, but if you thought of anything that you want to reference and you want to um, send to me so I can add it to um, the little profile when I upload all of this information in the podcast, let me know so I can sure. um, include it. And okay. thank you so much. And would you like to say what the website is so anybody who's listening who wants to go to the website can right now? Uh, OaklandAcupuncturProject.com. And thank you so much for your time and Anybody who enjoyed this podcast, please go out and follow me on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and I hope to be able to continue providing these podcasts for free, and I hope that you're enjoying this material, and thank you so much for your support, and remember that like healing's possible, really, and thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening, and thank you for your time.